Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 213. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed comic book creators of Frankenstein Unconquered, Dalton K. Shannon and Wells Thompson. Hey, hey. Hi. How's it going, guys? It's going great. I, I am just so glad to know that we are internationally beloved now. Like... Well, we have fans in Canada, and at least one that I know of okay. in the UK. So All right, that's, that's great. Okay, that's, that counts. You know, right. I can tell my mom; she's going to be so happy <laughs> that you are an internationally acclaimed comic book creator. Like, no, that that is objectively true. So yeah. I'm going right. to have to start putting so. that on the business cards. I got to rewrite right. business cards now. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations you two i did notice like your your latest kickstarter blown out of the water you still have as of this recording two weeks left mm -hmm. of your kickstarter mm -hmm. and your goal was to reach five thousand dollars and you're already past 50 percent over that you're at 7600 so far so indeed congratulations yes. well, thank, thank you so much that's, yeah that's amazing uh, so so talk to us a little bit before we jump in and just talking about your Kickstarter. This is you've all had very successful Kickstarters in the past. Each one you've been able to nail uh, with it, your three three titles. So before we kind of jump in and kind of talk about the background, before we went live, you two have a pretty fun story about working together. But before we kind of jump in and start talking about Frankenstein the Unconquered, do, the two of you want to talk to the audience, uh, listeners in the audience a little bit on how you kind of started getting into comic books? Uh, yeah. So a uh, multi-layered question. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, you know, it, it, like most origin stories, it takes about three films to get through, but <laughs> no. So I have been uh, a comics guy since I was a kid, uh, since I was about eight and I found comics on the spinner rack and just kind of fell in love with them. Uh, so I've always wanted to do comics and uh, been kind of writing and drawing since then. Um, met Wells in college, uh, who uh, had dipped his toes into the comic world with uh, all the, the stuff you see on top 10 lists. But uh, I was like, hey, uh, I know you're mostly doing prose, but uh, comics? And Wells was like, no, you idiot. And I was like, <laughs> okay, but comics? And he was like, okay, sure. And uh, we just kind of uh, worked together to, to bring a lot of like nascent ideas that both of us had uh, into, uh, I don't know, something that was tangible that uh, we couldn't quite do on our own. And uh, that's been like five or six years now. And uh, yeah, we're still going strong with uh, Frankenstein being the, the latest success in the long line of successes. We're internationally acclaimed, but more do you want? <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I started writing at a pretty young age. I've I've been of kind of a singular mind about what I've wanted to do for as long as I can remember, really. Um, and that, you know, wrote like short stories and stuff all throughout uh, middle school, high school, into college, uh, and started doing uh, screenplays and uh, movies there. Really got really into movies during college. Uh, so that was where I kind of wanted my 
uh, career to end up as either prose or screenplays. And uh, making films is really hard and really mm -hmm. expensive, and it requires a rather a large amount of people to be really on top of their stuff and have everything together and, and that you trust really, really well. And while I did have some people that I really liked and, and wanted to, uh, you know, trust and get that kind of thing off the ground with, uh, ultimately those attempts just fell through. So I went away, wrote a novel by myself. Publishing is equally difficult to break into uh, on, in prose. Uh, it's a very kind of cutthroat, gatekeepy uh, business. So I uh, started talking with Dalton, kind of airing out my woes, and he was like, why not comics? And... Uh, <laughs> Gave me a laundry list of reasons why not comics. <laughs> All valid. All valid. No, but ultimately it was, uh, you know, it was nice to to work with someone that I felt I could trust and that I knew wouldn't fall through. Mm. Um, and, and that I respected, like, a lot. I, as a storyteller, I respect Dalton a lot. So it was easy to kind of, uh, you know, give him ideas, take his ideas, and know that we you know, have this kind of mutual respect for each other. We're going to improve the work together. Um, and then, yeah, fell in love with it. I So, so talk to us a bit about this. Like, so Frankenstein, Frankenstein, the unconquered was, was not your first comic book that you worked together. on. Oddly, it kind of was. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, I, well, depending on how far back you want to go, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we technically started working on a uh, like graphic novel that mm -hmm. is still exists as a script and that we do want to eventually produce. Uh, but the first okay. thing that we like put into print was what, what he just showed you, the, uh, the Frankenstein Conquered Ashcan, which okay. was very do-it-yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, Dalton drew everything. I lettered. Um, it wasn't colored or anything. Uh, it was just, you know, hand, handmade in, in, in the most literal sense. Uh, and yeah, no, we, we uh, started taking those to comic conventions and getting a little bit of a following that way uh, and learning more and more about comics as a business. And that grew and grew and grew. Uh, and we kept on kind of revisiting uh, Frankenstein the Unconquered as a concept uh, until eventually now we have an ongoing series with him. Right. And so the, the, the first one you released, Kate was released July, 2022. This one is going to be released uh, February, 2023. So it looks mm -hmm. like, are you planning on doing like every six months, a new issue? Um, it truthfully, it depends on the schedule of, uh, of our artist. She's sort of dictating the pace of it, but we're hoping that the next uh, Kickstarter that we do is uh, two issues uh, mm -hmm. back to back. So we want to oh, wow. we want to be able to to knock these out a little bit yeah. faster if we can start doubling up on issues with each campaign. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and and plus what you're doing as well because you've you've done successful Kickstarters in the past is like what are some of the things that you learned from your previous Kickstarters that you guys are trying to do with this one? <laughs> oh, each campaign brings something new to yeah. it. When it whether it's uh, like for our first campaign, we didn't have a trailer, and then the second campaign, we had a trailer, saw that it helped, and now we do trailers. Uh, the the marketing around it, the um, 
just the the sheer numbers mm -hmm. game that kind of goes into Kickstarter, adjusting uh, our prices, adjusting uh, prices, doing, doing like, more variant covers from more mm -hmm. desirable artists. Uh, yeah, yeah, and finding out what works for all ages doesn't always work for mature audiences, vice versa. And you know, uh, Kickstarter tends to uh, do better with uh, more uh, a mature content in general. Like mm. we, yeah, it's been a learning experience every single campaign. Mm -hmm. And how has it been pre post COVID era times of, was there anything that had to be adjusted from a logistics perspective on the prices or anything? Um, well, we really hadn't done much pre COVID. Uh, okay. Our first published work was, was a horror anthology to send to dread, which we uh, finished and, and managed to get published, I think in June or July of 2020. 2020. Uh, uh so and then we started doing mechaton uh later that year and and launched the kickstarter in whenever it was may uh, mm -hmm. of, of 21. uh so it's all been during or post pandemic um yeah the, which, is the, wild, I mean, which is wild to now that we're saying it out loud to think that all of the ash can stuff was pre-covid and now post-covid is when like things actually started yeah that's weird to me. And, wow. <laughs> and really the reason we started doing that was because conventions were taken away from us and that was what we were used to doing. Mm -hmm. So we knew we had to adapt and do something on a more like online basis. Mm -hmm. And that was really healthy for us. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we, we wound up doing a lot more, a lot more effectively as a result. Well, then I guess my, my, my next question for you is now that we are in, I like to consider us the pre post era of COVID. <laughs> yeah. uh, what what would be the advantages of doing a convention now legitimately with the fact that you've been so successful not doing it and being able to network successfully and promote your work digitally? I, I think conventions are it's still extremely viable. Um, if for nothing else than getting books in hands of people who aren't chronically online, mm -hmm and depressed mm. <laughs> or even know what a, a comic book is like like so many people we go we are at conventions and we say hey you like comics and they're at a comic convention they're like no not really but then we can like show them mechaton and their kid falls in love with it and then they grab right. mechaton um it, it's great to like get to actually see the people that you interact with online for one uh right. put faces to twitter handles and uh, right. also just get to to meet new people and mm -hmm. uh put books in hands because as much as the the digital age is transformative for comics and literally everything else uh to me nothing beats a physical book in your hands and to just like have it in your hands and then give it to someone else to flip through that uh i don't know no, nothing can really replace that for me anyway yeah, so it's sure. almost that it, it's almost as though it's like they're it's replacing it to create this networking and camaraderie event than it mm -hmm. is an actual business transaction. Exactly. I mean, cer certainly the the cons are very helpful in terms of just if, of moving books and putting money in pocket, sure. money in right. pocket, especially really, really good cons. Uh, Arkansas Comic Con was really excellent for us, mm -hmm. super busy, okay. and, and we sold a lot of books there. Um, and it also helps to, you know, expand your, uh, your market a little bit, find people that you would normally find. And if you're, you know, if you're smart about it and write down emails and, uh, and, and, you know, incentivize people to, to stick around, then they become online Kickstarter backers. Mm -hmm. 
uh, later on down the line. So, and uh, uh, all this, uh, like, and all this, the the Kickstarter stuff, the Twitter stuff, all of that's all of it can really start to feel kind of uh, ethereal, like like it's just mm -hmm. kind of happening there. But like cons really make what we're doing tangible, and it feels mm -hmm. real with boots on the ground and comics in hands. And uh, th I mean that that's when it really sets in yeah. and kind of locks in and uh, makes it all feel real. Because uh, like Kickstarter, like you know, I, I get super excited when I see those Kickstarter numbers go up too. But nothing really feels real until I have the book in my hand. So it, I, I, I love conventions. Also, there's no better way to sharpen your uh, your ability to pitch your comic than having to mm. sell it a hundred plus times at a convention to everyone yeah. that passes by that, that wants to know the slightest thing about it. Uh, you figure out real quickly what your uh, what your log line is just because you know <laughs> it's not efficient to to be you know talking to someone for 30 minutes about your comic and then they walk away. You need to be able to get to the heart of it like immediately. Right. Uh, and that you know feeds into everything else. I, I don't think it's an either or situation. I think it's very much a, an and plus mm -hmm. you know. Uh, they they feed into each other and they they make the other stronger. Real as I was saying before we went live, I've been really enjoying watching your other interviews um, and just <laughs> hearing you talk about talk about the story of Frankenstein Unconquered. Talk about how you have this you know a werewolf named Larry who is you know part of a Lon Chaney inspired design and 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 also the how the the bride is popping up in issue six and can't wait for that to happen so um you, you do your homework yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad to know that we are as equally entertaining as frankenstein that's great yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> So, so I so definitely check out some of your other interviews. So what I want to do is ask you different questions so that you don't have to kind of repeat yourself a bit on some of those pieces. My question to you is how do you balance out the the classical stories of of uh, the monsters and then how do you balance that with say the interpretation that Universal Studios has with the monsters as well? And how do you balance that to kind of create your own Frankenstein or your own werewolf or, or your own future monsters? Uh, it helps having an actual sandbox uh, with rules that you kind of have to follow because mm. it's uh, like with Frankenstein is public domain, but right. uh, Universal's Frankenstein is not. So like we know we can't have the, the big green forehead with the scar and the bolts on the neck. Like there, there are certain rules you mm. have to play in. Uh, so that we know we, we can't do that, but uh, we can take uh, the the kind of all the stuff around that. So like uh, the way Karloff portrays Frankenstein, or some of the the side characters around. Uh, like like there's a character in issue two, uh, Septimus Praetorius, who is uh, a king more or less in this uh, bombed out apocalypse that Franken and Ryan Emperor, <laughs> emperor yeah. yeah. But that's literally just a name drop from Bride of Frankenstein. There was a character with that name in the, like it. Uh, and we also, so, so we're taking little Easter eggs and nods from Universal, but also kind of combining it with the, the literature background uh, from uh, not only Shelley's novel, because to us that's canon, but also like werewolf, myths uh dracula bram stoker's dracula mm -hmm. 
swamp monsters stuff like 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 the ether of folklore and monsters and combining it with the hollywood versions and also the literary versions and kind of make frankensteining them all together into uh the frankenstein you see so that it can actually feel kind of very ours and uh, it's yeah it's and then you put a sword in his hand and it's done like that's it it's i would say it's one part you know kind of figuring out what we like about the character and what works for us about the character in all of these interpretations. Like what is the common thread, not just aesthetically, but like what makes us say, Ooh, the wolf, you know, I I really like werewolf stories. I love the, you know, what, what is cool about the wolf man in that case, it's, you know, kind of being out of control and, and having this kind of beast within that you can't uh, you know, you, you might have an idea of when it's going to come out, but ultimately once it's free you know there are questions of is that still you uh and that's like an interesting question to follow so what kind of character comes out of that and how can we best reflect that in the design of the monster and what elements can we take that are already really well known and incorporated in uh we we had a long talk about uh if we were going to do metal bolts for frankenstein because like iconic piece of you know, Frankenstein lore from the movies is the those neck bolts. Obviously, we can't rip the rip those off completely, but and they aren't a part of the the novel's interpretation of Frankenstein. But maybe that's something we could incorporate into the design. And I, I, uh, I think we do have an answer to that. It's not, it's not uh, relevant quite yet in the story, but it is coming up. Um, just interesting ways to kind of. Uh, fuse them together and say, uh, you know, this is through confluence, both the same and different uh, than than what you're used to seeing. Right. No, because you mentioned you kind of created a little Ashcan book first of, of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Did you first have the idea of a post-apocalyptic universal monster horror setting and pick Frankenstein or do you say I wonder what Frankenstein would be like in a Conan the Barbarian-esque <laughs> yeah, it, was it started much, out pretty dumb <laughs> it was very much uh, cosmic Frankenstein I was like let's put Frank in like a 1950s spacesuit bubble helmet send him through okay. space with a sword and a ray gun and just fighting monsters that just sounds cool but then like you know you, you see the long hair and you see the sword and you're like oh that's Conan that's oh that's Conan <laughs> and then, like, your brain just kind of starts turning wheels and uh, the, the barbarian fiction side fell into place. Mm. And uh, I'm not exactly sure where post-apocalyptic came from. Um, I think I was literally just stream of consciousness writing that first script. And uh, I think I, I don't know where that part came from. But uh, it, it ended up being really thematically relevant to Frank himself. Uh, so we can take barbarian fiction and put it in a post-apocalyptic land, as well as Frankenstein himself. Uh, The the character is just uh, so malleable that uh, I've always wanted to do something with that kind of uh, Mm -hmm. monster. Uh, But we finally found the setting that kind of helps elevate that into something that feels kind of more our own than just like uh, the the latest spoof Mm. film or rip-off or whatever. Now, did you also did you also uh, create a once you realized that you had something here? Did you then say we need to set down some world building rules, for instance? Because 
some of the image you got a dinosaur just like you know let's just throw in this let's just are you yeah. just having fun with it or did you say yeah. we need to establish rules oh like there are some loose rules but it is mostly just based on our gut feeling of like what yeah. fits in this universe what works for the story um yeah. obviously we're, we're trying to you know keep it within some degree of reason um <laughs> at, at the same time the the saying we've uh, we've always stuck to is if it belongs on a Megadeth album, it belongs in Frankenstein the Unconquered. Uh, <laughs> it's like you know you're you're kind of leading with the mm -hmm. how cool the image is before you start to think about the logic of how it fits in the world. Um, and there you know there's definitely stuff I wouldn't put in Frankenstein. Um, oddly enough, one of the things that that always stuck out to me is wrong even though it is like a little bit Mad Max, uh, is it, like you'd have to have a really special occasion to have a car in Frankenstein the Unconquered. It just yeah. doesn't feel right to me at all to, to put like even an Oldsmobile in there. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that we ever sat down and like hashed out the rules of the universe, but we are pretty much on the same page as to like what we can include and what should be in the world and what the texture of, of the world building is like, uh, mm -hmm. which is a delight, makes it a delight to, to go back yeah. and return to and go, oh, what what new stuff can we put in here? Yeah, it's a very gut reaction kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, very, very uh, Simpsons Springfield, where it's like, we may not need it until just now, but now we're gonna incorporate it into the yeah. world. I feel, and, like, uh, I feel like one day I'm gonna try my hand at like, real epic fantasy you know song of ice and fire like hard world building where they, you know there's a map and there's, this is not really that <laughs> no, i think the only bible we have is shelley's novel that's mm -hmm. it yeah we can't go back and say that like something in that didn't happen it, that that does you know the, the the old stories and i would say you know uh the Jekyll and Hyde novel, for example, is definitely informing how we're doing Jekyll and Hyde. The, mm. the Dracula is definitely going to inform how we portray Dracula. Um, it's not going to be the sole thing that we rely on. We are going to kind of right. make it malleable and tweak it in our own way. But like, we want to stay true to what makes these characters compelling and what made them work in the first place. Mm. So I want to talk to the both, both of you about the, the business side of writing this. Now, how often do you had did you have like all right we're gonna set up some norms here like all right if we agree on one thing we have to convince the other or do you do what direction's happening or do you say all right we cannot move forward until we both agree on something or how does that work between the two of you it sort of depends on the project mm -hmm. uh okay. like for, for frankenstein you know, I write a fair bit of dialogue for Frankenstein, but at the end of the day, Dalton almost always goes through and like kind of evens it out and makes it sound more like, you know, what he has in mind for Frank. And and that's mostly for the sake of, uh, well, if you'll forgive the pun, not making it, you know, so much of a Frankenstein's monster of a project. We don't want to, uh, we don't want to have people thinking this sounds like it was written by two different people. We want it to feel very smooth. We want it to feel like a unified vision. Right. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of trust. It's a lot of like, uh, we, we decide on the direction that we want to go. We work on a script at a time for the most part. And then we, <laughs> and then, you know, pass it back and forth until we're both happy with it. 
yeah, it helps having like an established point man on each project. So like Wells has point on Mechaton, he kind of gets final. Like we can go back and forth on scripts, but uh, if Wells has is adamant about something, I'll I'll back off a bit. And same and Frankenstein, I have point. Um, and like if uh, we go uh, draft by draft basis, so like he'll write a draft, I'll write a draft. And, but uh, Wells is really great at like keeping us the direction going, and I, I tend to agonize over cadences and dialogue and uh yeah but but it all we i think we've worked out a pretty seamless collaboration to where it doesn't feel mm -hmm. super disjointed mm -hmm. right and and how do you how do you prioritize these projects this project together as compared to some of your own personal projects um Good question. <laughs> I think I think we just started writing these together and going forward and then said, you know, at some point we'll do our own thing. But for right now, we want to mm -hmm. just want to make stuff together. And there's already I mean, like, th there's already some uh, stories that like uh, Dalton's working on a thing right now that he's putting up on his website. I'm working on a comic with uh, with an artist that I can't talk about at the moment, but <laughs> Uh, but that, that will eventually come out. That is just my name on it. Um, but, you know, there are some stories that we bring to each other that we're, we're both really wide-eyed invested in and, and want to make the most of. And if we both have that sort of fervor about it, then it makes sense okay. to put both our names on it. Because we know mm -hmm. we're going to, you know, both work as hard as we can to make it as great as we possibly can. Yeah. It tends that uh, the, the solo projects tend to be a bit more personal personal to the individual writer yeah and uh these collaborative projects are really like something we want to work with other people on and each other on and, and or, or or simply it's a project that we can't realize without the other like there, there's mm -hmm. something that's not working about it uh, like mechaton we've been sitting on the mechaton idea for like a decade and mm -hmm. something just was not clicking until wells got his hands on it and now it's even better than it ever could have been like, uh, so it, it helps to have a, a sounding board and a collaborator, but uh, but then there are those projects that uh, sometimes we just kind of want to breathe without the other, and uh, yeah, it, it's been working out pretty well so far. Mm -hmm. So, so talk to us about we we have a lot of you know writers that like to listen to the podcast, and they might say, you know, listen, Wells and Dalton, this is great advice. Um, I got a project I'm working on. But how did you find Mary Landro? How did you find her? How do I find my Mary Landro? What would be your advice? It's a lot of corkboards and strings and Twitter. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's Twitter and Instagram and and uh, Mary, getting, we getting involved in the community. Join a Discord. Mm -hmm. uh, find people who you know uh, who are looking for gigs and and who you can uh, collaborate with. Mm. Um, Alternatively, um, make comics even if they're crappy and yeah. uh, if you're stupid enough like we were and go to a comic convention that's way too big for your britches uh you'll meet an editor who will say hey these comics are great except for the art let me hook you up with some artists and uh <laughs> yeah that's how we got descent into dread made that is met mary like it, it that was sheer dumb mm. luck but uh I, I find just like doing the work and making the comics while all or alternatively just like networking on the internet works beautifully like like you're going to make connections even if right. you're not necessarily like looking yeah. for it um but as long as you're uh, not like a heinous person to be around people are gonna yeah. you know someone is gonna say oh i like you you know i'll, I'll yeah. <laughs> i would be interested in working with you 
Um, just pay yeah, your artists. So, so it's, and then, yeah, uh, the other thing is pay well, pay on time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and don't make promises you can't keep. Um, and if you can't afford an artist, then, uh, you know, look for anthologies. That can be a great end. Uh, it can be a great way to, to and to, to connect with artists as well because mm -hmm. very often on anthologies they'll say oh yeah you can submit a script and we'll you know if we like it we'll pair it with an artist that that we know uh that's interested in being in it doesn't have a story um mm. i've worked with a couple artists uh through exactly that process uh so really it's uh, there are, there are a lot of different avenues in i think the most expedient is just ponying up the cash which is not an easy thing to hear. It's like, yeah. you know, I, I wish it wasn't so like uh, gate kept through, through that specific avenue, but you know, it is what it is. We, we live in a world that runs on money. And do you recommend like contracts? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would, I would 100% yeah. recommend a contract. Yeah. <laughs> even, even standing here, like on, Several projects, not I'm not work. I'm not using a contract. Uh, I would still probably recommend them because the ones that you have, like, it just helps you not to get yourself in a bad position. Mm -hmm. Essentially, it, it keeps things. It keeps the water clear. Mm -hmm. Like even even Wells and I have contracts. Like like it, you just gotta. It's art, but it's also a, a business, and so you, you just want to try and uh, make it as, as clean as possible. Yeah. And and I did notice too, because you also have like a colorist and a letterer. Do you re you'd recommend too if you're doing it to don't find someone who does it all, but find somebody that find different roles. It I think it depends. Yeah, it depends on yeah. the project. What what it means for each artist, like. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, if we could find somebody who who did everything exceptionally well, a, a, a consummate cartoonist, uh, then we we may have considered them for Frank, but their style may not have been for Frank. You know, right. uh, like the the style for Frank is Mary and Dahlia and, and and Nathan and Brenda. Like we we want that team. Like that brings Frank to life. But uh, but so, so I, I, it's really just a project by project basis. I, I have nothing but respect for cartoonists who can do everything. Oh, absolutely. I, I, no, I, yeah. if That's given, what I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> given the opportunity, yeah, absolutely. But mm -hmm. almost every time I ask, uh, you know, if I find an artist, I, I'll ask, you know, do, are you, do you want to color or do you want me to find someone to, to color it for you so you can just focus on the inks? And most of the time they just want to do the one thing uh both for expediency and so that they can kind of focus on it a little bit more clearly mm -hmm. they're not thinking mm -hmm. ahead about you know what is this going to be like to letter or what is this going to be like to to uh color or whatnot um and then the other thing is uh unless you are like truly uh like have put in the work and are talented and and really like are up to snuff about it don't try and take shortcuts and do it yourself. Mm -hmm. It never works out. Um, I know practice, a lot of writers practice, practice. that, yeah, I know a lot of writers that go and, and go in and be like, well, it's lettering. It can't be that hard. It is that hard. It is absolutely that hard. <laughs> it uh, is an art form into itself. Yeah. And, and I want, ultimately I want someone working on the book that is as dedicated to the craft of lettering as I am to the craft of writing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know I'm not as dedicated to lettering as I am to writing. So 
I would rather find someone who's really good at it. Right. And what what was what's what's one thing that you noticed when you're working on um, issue two of Frankenstein: The Unconquered that uh, either a, a, a business savvy thing that you started doing or a a a production thing that you wished that you wished you did five projects ago um well we lowered our costs mm -hmm. or rather we we lowered our prices i should say mm. um because we wanted uh, we looked back and and saw that some of the higher uh in stuff people weren't really gravitating toward and we figured that was because as much as we were offering with for example the everything tier where we give you like you know everything in one convenient package um sometimes the, the the price tag was just a bit too high and so we figured by kind of reducing the amount of what's in it and also lowering the price uh it would attract more people to go get it and that was absolutely the case it's our most pop well it's not our most popular by number but it is our most popular in terms of percentage of like the money that's come in is that uh tier um let's see we we started doing three variant covers instead of just two uh one of which is we uh this being a uh, pg channel i'll just say not safe for work uh mm -hmm. cover it's uh but but that was to play specifically into like more of the pulp elements of the right. uh of the comic mm -hmm. uh so we felt it was appropriate for the comp for the story that we were telling and for the, for the comic we were producing and the vibe that we were going for uh but we but the uh, equally the other part of the reason why we put that cover on there is because we knew that uh, people on Kickstarter tend to like those, and uh, right. it, it has absolutely uh, paid dividends as a result. Mm -hmm. um, it's also other... been, it's also been I'm, like just going from Frank One to Frank Two. Like the 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 team is in like much more of a lockstep now. Mm -hmm. Like I, right. we we had a, a few speed bumps at the beginning. Uh, you know trying to, to figure out the, the colors that would go well with, with Mary's inks and, and how to get those letters. Cause Mary has fantastic layouts, but sometimes mm -hmm. it's like, how do I letter this? So like, uh, it, we had a, a little bit of a bump, but like now we're all kind of, we know how everybody works and, uh, pages can turn around a little easier. Uh, and it, it all just feels a lot more smooth and, uh, assured. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, there's, and been lots of little things that we've done differently for this campaign that have all worked to in our favor and that we'll definitely be replicating in the future. I love the idea of advertising space. I haven't seen that before. <laughs> yeah, our uh, our PR guy, uh, Jeff, uh, recommended that we add it. And we had been kind of debating whether or not it would be a good idea, but we went ahead and threw it on. It's, it seems to be popular. So mm -hmm. That's amazing. And and I want to talk to you because you did this with Frankenstein, um, that your first one. Whose idea was it to create the, a one-shot tabletop <laughs> role-playing game? Uh, well, like all things we were saying, like everything kind of flows together. Mm -hmm. um, right. You know, you, you you have one success, so you do one thing, and it leads to another, it leads to another. Uh, we were doing a lot of uh, conventions while we were out there. We met this guy, Jacob Fleming. Uh, you know. It, it was slow during convention. We started talking. He's another comics guy, but he also does tabletop RPG stuff. So uh, we talked to him, and, and he was uh, really interested in the idea of like doing exactly that, having a, uh, a tabletop RPG kind of in the universe of a comic. 
uh, and we talked about the ideas and, and some of the mechanics and like how we could make it stand out and unique. And uh, he, he made a really, really cool mm -hmm. game as a result. So it was, it was both us trying to find something kind of unique to give to people who were really interested in the comic and really wanted to like, you know, throw a little bit more money down to support us. Uh, and us, you know, happening to know someone who was perfect for the job. Uh, right. And those kind of worked, you know, eventually worked together to make uh, Death Stalks the Damned, which is a really fun game. No, do you, so, so Dalton, do you, do you play tabletop role-playing games? Play is a generous term. <laughs> uh, no, uh, we, uh, I have tried tabletop RPGs uh, for like, it seems like 10 years now, but uh, nothing ever seems to really get off the ground. It's uh, okay. me, me and my, my friend group is not the group to do uh, tabletop RPGs with. Uh, things go off the rails very quickly. It's a lot of ADHD like, kids. Just yeah. like, <laughs> we can we blow something up? Yeah. So yeah. do you have so so the uh, the 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 one shot tabletop role playing game that's on there? Does it have an existing game mechanic that exists? Like a or is uh, this a brand new game mechanic? I believe it's Mutants World or, yeah. or if Mutant it, World or Mutants Mutant World, World or something, something like that. that. Uh, oh, okay. It's it's listed in the first page, like what the rule set is and where you can find okay. like detailed online step-by-step uh, okay. -step how to play it. So we didn't want to like make a 30-page manual where most of it is just explaining <laughs> the rules. So. The rules. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, it just briefly says, here's where you can find the rules. Here's everything that you need to play it. Let's get on with like the characters, right. the lore, what, what you're going to need to go forward. Although after seeing Jacob's last Kickstarter campaign, uh, making like a big game master's manual for Frankenstein the Unconquered does not sound like a bad idea, Wells. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you? So what are some things that you you want to put in that you wish you did for like add-ons or tiers? It's like you know I always wanted to have a keychain with Frankenstein's. Is there anything on there that the two of you would personally say? I, I I know we can't right now, but one of these days I really want to have this just for my own selfish purposes. Um, we we yeah. put on for our last stretch goal uh, of fifteen thousand uh, dollars. We put on that we would make and distribute uh, enamel pins for everybody, and I would absolutely love, love to do that. Like yeah. a really really nice looking enamel pin would be great. Mm -hmm. um, someone mentioned uh, the other day that they were looking for patches to put on their leather jacket, and I thought I was like. That'd be kind of fun. That that. Oh, be like the patch on the back of John's yeah. jacket. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Um, no, a lot of stuff is just like ideas that I know we can't do because they're just prohibitively expensive to produce. Yeah. But like, I I think it would be awesome to have like uh those old '60s and '70s uh Universal Monster uh, model kits where you just pop out the pieces and clip oh, them yeah. together and then you have to hand paint them. I would love to have one of Frankenstein, but. That's never gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, that's. I don't even that's know if that's much. like capable of like, you know, if you had a three D printer, you would. Yeah. We, we would even be capable of making that necessarily. Mm -hmm. but. Or for like Mechaton, <laughs> just getting a Mechaton glove, that would be great. Uh, we we did briefly consider like Funko Pops for a little mm -hmm. while, but like custom it's pops entirely too expensive to make. Mm -hmm. So what is how many issues have you already written out so far? For Frank's, I, we have 
13 first drafts of, the, of all yeah. the, the, the first drafts. Uh, yeah. And we, we try and, and pass a few, you know, a couple times back and forth yeah. before they're finished. But mm -hmm. uh, Wells yeah, like, writes very issue at a time. And I go on like a, a two week tear until I'm done with a series. So with Frank, I was like, all right, it's done. And Wells is like, dude, we haven't even done it. Like, I yet. haven't even read the first three issues. And he's yeah, like, they're like, well, We'll it's chisel done. it away later. It's great. <laughs> no, is it going to be Dalton in an ongoing series, or is this going to be just 13 issues done? What is, what's we're your not, idea? Yeah, I don't think we're closing it off mm -hmm. uh, by okay. any means. Frankenstein, the Unconquered, I think, it will reach its end at 13. But whether whatever adjective comes later, yeah. it's anybody's <laughs> okay. guess. Yeah. We, have, we don't know. Frankenstein, the Unbothered. Frankenstein, unbothered. the Unbothered. <laughs> And that kind of fits along with the Conan theme, right? Mm -hmm. The Conan ending. Yeah. Now, do you are you going to introduce basically as you, you you mentioned earlier? We already know about the Bride of Frankenstein's there. We already know that that Larry the Werewolf is going to be there. Do you have any other? Are you trying to go across the board? All of the Universal monsters have them introduced uh, at least once. The whole pantheon's going to be there, more or like, less. Okay. Yeah. Invisible yeah. Man, Mummy, Creature. Uh, Dracula, um, Phantom shows up. The Phantom issue is great. Hell, even um, Abbott and Costello, Costello we're going to show Abbott up. Abbott and Costello. Like, like, <laughs> nice. You guys are not ready for that issue. No, we're not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> Wells hasn't even read it yet. Mary certainly isn't ready for it. <laughs> Cool. Well, this is great, guys. We're it's been such a such a genuine pleasure chatting with the two yes. of you about your your series. Oh, really God, looking forward so to fun. it. I love I loved issue one. I loved where where it was going with that, and it definitely does have that Conan homage. And I love the idea of throwing in the Universal monsters in a post apocalyptic world theme. That's <laughs> that's amazing. Mm -hmm. so, Thank you. Perfect. Well, once again, congratulations on on reaching your goal and. It's it's onward and upward from here. So absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, and come back on for issue three. So yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. love to. <laughs> All right. I try to nerd up. I got my I got my Avengers um, winter cardigan oh, yeah. on, so no, I get I that. that. I, oh, that's what. Okay, I noticed. I'm, I'm going to be honest. There, it took but... me until exactly now to realize that you're wearing a pink shirt and that you're not just like open canvas <laughs> with a tattoo across the chest. So I was like, oh, no, I respect the style. I'm not even going to question it, but. He shows not to swear. He's walking around with a bear chest. <laughs> it actually is a bear chest. See, it, it is, is a bear yeah. on here. See, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. That's some energy. <laughs> Love that. I, sh I should, I should dress more appropriately. Next time. <laughs> All it takes is just one touch. Just, just a touch.